Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. As promised in our last episode on the education of an archivist at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, we are now going to explore the meaning of collective memory and community in the context of an archive and how those elements live in and inform the collections at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. To help with this, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Jeanette Bastian to Seekers and Scholars. Jeanette is an acclaimed expert on archives and collective memory. She recently retired in June 2019 as Director of the Archives Management Concentration in the School of Library and Information Science at Simmons University. She is a prolific author, educator, and scholar, and has been invited to speak around the world. We are very fortunate to have you with us today. Welcome, Jeanette. Thank you. It's great to have you. Also with us is Alison Lazar, who is Senior Manager of Research and Collections at the Mary Baker Library. And also with us is Sarah Sheldy, who we are happy to have back from our previous episode. Sarah is Associate Archivist at the Library, where she focuses on the management and development of the library's special collections. And she was lucky enough to have Dr. Bastian as a professor when she was a graduate student at Simmons School of Library and Information Science. So welcome, Allison and Sarah, and I'm always pleased to bring about these reunions. Thank you for having me back, Jonathan. So glad to be here, Jonathan. Thank you. But first, Jeanette, could you give us a sense of what is meant by collective memory and how that relates to an archive and the community or communities it serves? Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you for that very nice introduction. So to begin, the term collective memory was coined by sociologist Maurice Halbwax in the 1920s and defined in his iconic book on collective memory. Previous to Halbwax, memory had been primarily a concern of psychology and physiology. Memory was not considered to be history, History in the 19th and early 20th centuries was completely defined and dependent upon archival sources. And so if you wanted to be a historian, you had to go to the archives and only the archives were considered to be reliable sources of information. But Halbach's moved memory out of this medical sphere and into a sociological and societal one. By collective memory, Halbach suggested that people experience memory collectively through the different social frames or groups to which they belong. For example, it might be your religion, your occupation, or your politics. These are all frames through which you view the world and the entire group views the world. Collective memory, then, is a shared pool of experiences or understandings that are filtered through a particular frame. In spite of Halbwach's early writings, however, memory was still not considered to have historical legitimacy. But following World War II, social historians began to realize that documents and records were not sufficient to explain what actually happened. And this idea, this concept, reached a tipping point during the trial of Adolf Eichmann 
1961. Witnesses to the Holocaust came forward offering oral testimony that could not be conveyed through documents. And so historians realized that through witnessing, through testimonies, there was a whole understanding of events that did not appear in the archives. Memory today is an academic discipline of its own and is essential to understanding society and its events. In this discussion, we, the Mary Baker Eddy archivists, and myself, and of course Jonathan is invited to join the conversation as well, decided to look at and understand the archives through the frame of Mary Baker Eddy and the Christian Science Movement, while at the same time understanding Mary Baker Eddy through an archival frame. So I'm going to ask some questions and Sarah and Allison will use their expertise and experience of working in the archives to see if we can together come up with some answers. And so just following up on this idea of frames then, how do you think that the idea of memory frames might apply to the Mary Baker Eddy archives? Absolutely, the, the archives provide a frame for people to view not just Mary Baker Eddy, but the whole Christian science movement, the church that she founded. And what we offer is sort of the, the story of how it all happened. We have in our collections, and Sarah can speak more to this, we have a collection of her correspondence, both her outgoing letters, but also her incoming correspondence. And that helps to tell the story of how the church was founded and how she went from discovering Christian science to it becoming a worldwide movement. So that's sort of the, the frame or the lens that I think that we offer for the community. But it's important to realize that this frame is not just located in the past, but that what we offer as a repository of collective memory is that we continue to collect and to grow the archives and to serve as a repository for the continuing growth of the movement. So just to follow up on that, do you think that over time and because of these things that you new things that you're constantly bringing in do you think the memory has changed over time or do you think that the perception of Mary Baker Eddy and the Christian Science Movement remains the same I think that there is a, a growth and an expansion of the frame especially as more and more things open up for a long time most of the archives were not open to the public in 2002, when the library opened, a lot of materials that hadn't been available to the public before were available. With the things that we continue to collect, some things remain closed for a while. I mean, as you know, in archives, it's standard practice to often keep things closed for 50 years or so, particularly to, to protect privacy of individuals. So we're continually opening uh, new materials. And with that come new untold stories from 
different parts of the world even. One of the collections we have is of area histories and branch churches from around the world. And as Christian science has moved, it was, it was founded here in the United States, but it's grown to be worldwide. And so I, I think with that change, with that growth, there's definitely going to be a, a change in the perception and the understanding. So going on to that then, Sarah, do you want to talk then about these reminiscence collections? Yeah, definitely. So in particular, the reminiscence file is a collection of recorded written memories of Mary Baker Eddy and the development of Christian science. These reminiscences were solicited from many individuals, particularly but not only Christian scientists, um, by the Christian Science Board of Directors beginning in 1917. And the collection continued to grow throughout the first half of the 20th century and some after that period. So this includes records of people who knew Mary Baker Eddy in various parts of her life and her work in Christian science and in different ways, including memories, as I mentioned, from non-Christian scientists who interacted with Mrs. Eddy or the the movement, um, sometimes uh, journalists or people who also lived in Concord, New Hampshire, where she lived for quite a while. There's also kind of a difference in the ways that the reminiscences exist, the recollections themselves. There are contemporaneous records such as diary entries, but more so the recollections tend to be recorded decades after these interactions took place. So they're not perfect records of memory. Um, They're affected by time and the distance from events. They also include records of the same event remembered by different people and therefore in slightly different ways, such as Mrs. Eddy's last class in 1898 or the speech she gave from her Pleasant View home balcony in 1903. So these various kind of multifaceted recollections affect the memory of Mary Baker Eddy in complex, even complicated ways. And it illustrates how this collective memory and this frame of memory can be kind of inexact or imperfect. Jonathan had earlier mentioned when he was doing the introduction, he talked about sort of looking at the Mary Baker Eddy archives and libraries as, in a sense, a community. So would you consider the Mary Baker Eddy archives as supporting a community, so sort of a community archives? I do. I think it's a a wide range of audiences, starting just with the church itself. Departments of the church do come to us for historical information. Church members around the world come to us for information. But then we also have a fellowship program where we actually have both our own fellowship program and we're a part of the New England Regional Fellowship Consortium that opens up our pool for fellows applicants to an even wider audience. So that's another community, the academic community, that we're working to support through the Mary Baker Eddy Papers. We have a papers project affiliated with the library. Um, And so we're very involved with the world of documentary editing. And that's another community that we're a part of. So I I think there's actually a lot of communities that Mm. we serve and support and that we're a part of. So everybody had sort of thrown in some questions that they thought might be answerable, but here's a real poser from Jonathan, so I'm going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) So 
anyone can answer this. Um, how do the library's records interrelate with or amplify upon the testimonials of healing found in the religious periodicals of the Christian Science Church, in the Christian Science Journal, and in the Christian Science Sentinel? So in other words, how do the records support those Christian science aspects, the spirit of, of Christian science? Is that sort of the question you meant, Jonathan? Yeah. You know, we have this record of healing that, in terms of published testimonials and articles in these religious periodicals, the Journal, the Sentinel, and I should add the Christian Science Herald, uh, the foreign language publication of the Christian Science Publishing Society. And I'm just curious, what is in the archives that complements that, supports it, adds more context to that record that one finds in um, publications? There's quite a bit, actually, I think. First of all, that record of healing goes way back to, to Mary Baker Eddy's time. Obviously, she founded the periodicals. And a lot of the testimonies that were in those early journals and, and then later sentinels started off as letters to Mary Baker Eddy herself, you know, saying, thank you. I had this healing. This is great. And then those ended up getting published. So sometimes people will write into us and say, do you have the original letter that goes along with this testimony that I read in, in the periodicals? Unfortunately, sometimes they weren't kept, but in many cases they were. But we also find that there are a number of articles in the periodicals that will quote Mary Baker Eddy's unpublished writings, her correspondence, or things like that as a way of providing additional spiritual insight into a point that they're making. And, and people, even today, will quote her letters in their articles that they have published in the periodicals. And calling back to the reminiscence file, those contain quite a lot um, when the person who is recalling their story and their history in Christian science, it generally starts with a testimony of healing of themselves or someone in their family. And that alongside their greater search for truth is what brought them into Christian science. So many of those were not published in the periodicals, but they still show how central the testimony of healing is in various people's memories of their interactions in Christian science. So was that sort of what you had in mind, Jonathan? when you ask the question? Yeah, um, some of this kind of reflects on some of the work that I do in exploring individual stories of Christian Zionists. And an important anchor to those stories can be found in the religious periodicals where they publish a testimony that really is uh, about a transformation for a person or persons through Christian science, where, which may maybe brought them into the religion in the first place, or really change the course of, of their life. So I'm interested in that respect of how the archives can perhaps amplify in that story of Christian science and its impact on these individuals and that sort mm. of larger story that that testimony points to. I think what you're describing, Jonathan, is something that's probably been experienced by just about any of the library staff members who have written A Women of History article for the website, okay. because that is a wonderful opportunity to explore 
the ways that the publications of the Christian Science Publishing Society interact with the historical record found in the library to create this kind of comprehensive picture of an individual and a life and how it was impacted by Christian science. And yeah, so I had the pleasure of writing one of those on uh, Caroline Noyes, and I did. I looked to the periodicals because she did. She had written in several testimonies, and they were fun because I got to hear her voice talking about these incredible experiences, but in a way that was a very public way, as opposed to her letters to Mary Baker Eddy, where she was writing about similar types of experiences, but in a much more private voice. Mm. Um, But then looking at the rest of the archives to find out, well, how else was she involved? What else was she doing? Was she in branch church records? Was she in the reminiscence file? Answers, yes, yes. So yeah, really getting to explore all the different ways that you can put the pieces of a a life together and see how an individual is impacted by this this frame that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. So just maybe this is a, a final question for both Sarah and Allison and also Jonathan. So what do you see in the future for for this archives, especially if we go back to this idea of this collective memory frame? Do you feel that there are particular memories that perhaps aren't being promoted enough or haven't been fleshed out. What do you see in the future for the, for the archives? The library is young. It opened in, in 2002, and, I, and I'd be interested in Sarah and Allison's perspective on this, but it, I think, has made the Christian science community and other communities much more aware of the history of of Christian science Mm -hmm. and that there is a place that attends to this and that cares for it. So I think there is much more interaction and awareness and vitality around uh, an interest in the, the history of the movement. And so I would say that that's something that we can project into the future, that that increased vitality and care about the history of the movement being fed by this greater awareness that exists within the world as a whole and within the Christian science community in particular. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that dynamic continues to develop. Allison, perhaps you have a wish list of things that you would like to see <laughs> happen in the future. Well, building on what Jonathan was saying, I'm thinking more in terms of the, the how. And I think increased digitization is definitely in our future so that we can continue to grow our abilities to serve a worldwide audience um, so that people don't necessarily have to come to Boston. We still want to be able to serve them. We want to be able to answer their questions. We want to be able to help them learn about this important history. And Sarah, your thoughts? So we have organizational records, and those document different parts of the world, um, branch churches from all around the world, um, all the different continents. That's one area in which the collection does have an international scope. I'm really interested in developing the collection, growing um, 
in acquisitions and hopefully through more people coming to us, as Jonathan said, like knowing that this is a place where their records can be kept safe. Uh, Early pioneers who did work in parts of Africa or South America or Australia or Asia coming to us with their records and donating those personal papers. And that would be something that I would love to be able to work on. So there's a Mm -hmm. more complete record of the international community in special collections. And then therefore we can improve our service to those patrons and create a more inclusive and complete collective memory of the entire international community. Mm -hmm. Jeanette, thank you so much for uh, asking all these questions and giving us a feel of what people would want to know about uh, our archives and how, how they work and how they engage with these different audiences that that we serve, that we care about, and uh, who care about us. I'm, it's, <laughs> I'm realizing, Jeanette, Allison, and Sarah, how much of your work and the work of archives really constitutes or can be described as a caring profession. So thank you so much, uh, Jeanette, Dr. Bastian, for, for taking on this role of inquiring about our archives and the communities it serves and anticipates serving um, more comprehensively in, in the future. Thanks yes. so much. And thank you. It's really been it's really been a pleasure. I always like to see archives getting on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my mission. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 they're tremendous. Um, I'm so grateful for them and grateful for ours. Thank you so much, Allison and Sarah. It, it's wonderful to hear about your work and what you care about and what you do and all the insight. And I'm sure it's... Um, it's helpful for you maybe to be asked these questions. I hope so. It has been helpful and it's been a lot of fun too. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much to Dr. Bastian and Jonathan for having me back to back. I've really <laughs> enjoyed being able to talk about my work and learn more from my, from my work in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seekers and Scholars as we explored concepts around collective memory and community as they relate to the archives at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. We hope you'll join us for upcoming episodes, some of which will explore Mary Baker Eddy's relationship with cultural and spiritual movements that emerged in her time, that is, the 19th and early 20th centuries. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you again for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2021.